Thank you for that beautiful prayer, Renee. Uh, those of you who might not know me, my name is Nate Rusticus, and I get to serve as the Director of Student Ministries here at Ivanrest. Today, it's my privilege to preach the morning message. A few months ago, our pastor, Brandon Hahn, felt God's call uh, to lead our church to the book of Luke. And today, we're going to continue picking up in that passage uh, at Luke chapter 10. Uh, the first nine chapters of Luke is all about who Jesus is. At the end of chapter 9, uh, Dr. Luke makes a switch. Uh, and chapter end of chapter 9 through uh, the end of the book, he changes his focus on, if Jesus is who he says he is, the divine Son of God, then how should we live? We are called to be disciples of Christ. Um, Jesus spells this out in chapter 10 that we as disciples should be messengers. Every disciple of Jesus has a message to communicate, and that message is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that the kingdom of God is here, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, Dr. Tim Keller says he gives each of his disciples uh, three things to bring the kingdom out into this world. That is a mission, a message, and a motivation. Uh, and today we're going to be looking at our text with that in mind. Uh, if you want to open up your pew Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10, uh, verses 1 through 24. And I am dividing that up into three different things, uh, sections as I speak, so I would encourage you to keep your Bible open. Uh, the first section is uh, a mission, which is 10, uh, 1 through 12. The second session, our section is a message. Uh, and that is going to be 13 through uh, 20. And the third is the motivation, and that's 21 through 24. Um, I'm going to read each of those parts and then uh, expound upon it and then move on to the next section. Uh, so um, learn how we can serve God in the 21st century as well as how his disciples served him 2,000 years ago. So the first section is the mission. So if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn with me uh, to 10, 1 through 12, it says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him to each town and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest with them. If not, it will return to you. Stay here, eating and drinking, whatever is given to you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near. But if you enter a town and you're not welcome, go into the streets and say, even the dust we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Be sure of this. The kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom than it is for that town. In Luke chapter 9, uh, Jesus does the same thing with his disciples. The, the Bible uh, wasn't originally written with the chapters and verses, so his original context was to read the, the Gospel of Luke all the way through. And if you look at Luke chapter 9, he sends out just his 12 disciples. 
and in sending out his 12 disciples to spread that the kingdom is here, if Luke had stopped right here at chapter 9, we would think that only the special people are those who are sent out to preach that the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, But because Luke continues on to chapter 10, uh, we see that this calling is for every believer, not just the special people. He sends out the 72. These are the ones uh, who had heard Jesus' message and believed that he was the Christ uh, and believed that the kingdom of God is here. You may say 72, Nate. Like, that seems like such a weird number. And as I was reading the text, I thought this very same thing. I was like, hmm, I wonder why he chose 72. But as I looked in, did some commentary work, uh, most commentary uh, say that in the Greek Old Testament called the Septuagint, uh, if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 10, right after the Tower of Babel, uh, you see that there were 72 different nations. And those 72 nations, it would have been really important for Luke to, to record that uh, because it meant that God was for everyone, not just the Jews, that he was for the Gentiles as well. And Luke, being a Gentile himself uh, and writing this book to a mostly non-Jewish audience, uh, that would be incredibly important. He was a Greek himself. Uh, these 72 were sent out from town to town uh, to preach cast out demons, heal the sick. These are three things that Jesus himself does. This is what Jesus called them to do, and he calls us to do the same thing. If we receive the message that the kingdom of God is at hand, then we're to go out into the fields and harvest uh, and be the workers uh, to deliver that message. However, this isn't going to be without heartache. This is in direct contrast to the prosperity gospel that you believe and receive and your life is good and you're going to be rich and prosperous. But no, Luke uh, records what Jesus says in Luke 10.3. He says, go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. This mission involves risk. You know, whenever a wolf and a sheep get together, it doesn't always end up too well for the sheep. You don't hear about uh, cartoons or see things where uh, sheep are eating wolves. Uh, But you see where sheep are being torn apart by wolves. But here's the great thing is that the sheep have a good shepherd. And we have that same shepherd. The sheep will be safe because the shepherd will keep them safe. Just like our shepherd keeps us safe. God's created each one of us for a certain time and place. He created that 70, those 72 for that time and place. Just like he creates us for this time and place in the 21st century. And one, a verse that I love that speaks to this is Ephesians 2.10, where it says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God created each one of us to do his will. There's some mission that he's made you for. There's some mission that he's made us for. And there was a mission that he clearly made those 72 for. Uh, God sent those 72 people out into 36 different towns uh, to preach the good news that the kingdom of God is at hand. And we're called to do that same thing here in the 21st century. God can and will use every part of your life and every part of my life uh, 
for his good and for his glory. An example, about five years ago, about a week before Christmas, uh, I, we lived in Indiana at the time, and I decided it would be a great idea uh, to walk the three blocks to the library, which normally, not a big deal. Walking three blocks is, is pretty good. Uh, but we had had an ice storm just the day before. And when we had that ice storm, um, it was pretty slippery. And so my wife's like, hey, you may want to be careful out there. So I'm like, all right, I'll put on my hiking boots. They've got great grip. Uh, you know, nothing's going to happen to us. Um, and, you know, I'm from Michigan. This ice storm's not a big deal. Uh, they say pride goes before the fall. And it was very, very true on that day uh, because I got one of the three blocks I was supposed to go and those hiking boots did exactly what they were supposed to do. They kept my left foot in the same place. Uh, the problem was the rest of my body went backwards. Uh, and I broke uh, both my tibula and fibula right above my uh, leg, right above my ankle, uh, and uh, have uh, two two different plates in there, and there's about 48 screws in there that you can see from the, um, in the picture above my head. And here's the part where God was you, where God used this for his glory. So we missed family with our Chris, we missed Christmas with our families in Chicagoland and Michigan. Uh, but this caused me to have 12 sessions of physical therapy. And so this is where God use this for his glory. So my doctor of physical therapy was a woman who had uh, grown up in a Catholic home, but she walked away from her faith. Uh, she had uh, felt like, I'm not good enough for God, and I don't need to be in church anymore. So she found out I was a youth pastor, uh, asked, you know, what do you do? And immediately started asking me questions about faith. Um, and so I got to share with her over those 12 sessions what the gospel is all about. That it's about what Jesus did on the cross and not about what we do to earn right relationship with God. Uh, my physical therapy session ended on Good Friday, my last one, uh, with her going to church for the first time in years on Easter Sunday. And I don't know what happened after that, but what I do know is that God can and will use any part of your life whether it be good or bad, for his glory and to advance his kingdom. And so I want to encourage you uh, to let God do that, that that is our mission, to go out in the world and preach the good news. We, we're also, though, given a message. Uh, and Luke goes on in 10, uh, 13 through 20 to share what this message is. The message, he says here, he says, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if miracles were performed in you, had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at judgment day than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, to overcome the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, 
Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So you may be like, I've heard of the town of Capernaum, but I've never really heard of the town of Chorazin and Bethsaida. So Chorazin and Bethsaida were suburbs of uh, Capernaum. Uh, they were right there where Jesus did most of his miracles. And these were most likely three of the cities where Jesus sent the 72. Um, interesting enough, most commentaries believe that these were also three cities where they didn't hear and respect the message that the kingdom of God was at hand. And so when Jesus said, I wipe the dust off my feet, off your feet and go away, and it'll be worse for them than Sodom and Gomorrah. That's most likely why Jesus is saying this to them. Um, but he's also saying to Capernaum, Chorazin, and Bethsaida, that they need to listen up. That the kingdom of God is at hand, that you, they've seen all kinds of signs and wonders. This is, again, like I said, where Jesus did most of his miracles. Um, and if they were listening, if they don't listen, they're going to miss out on the kingdom of God, on that good news that the 72 were proclaimed to give. Uh, this good news is something the 72 did. However, I think they may have missed a little bit of the part. You see, in verse 17, it says, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. But they missed out on, on it. You see, they, they, the, the demons submitting their name was good. And Jesus said, yeah, that's good. And we can do the same thing. We can be excited that 100 kids are signed up for our first VBS in 20 plus years. But if we get excited just about the 100 kids, we miss getting excited about the fact that they get to hear the gospel, that the kingdom of God is at hand. And that's what these, these 72 missed out on some. They missed out on that the lost had been called home, that the sick had been healed, that the kingdom of God is at hand. How great it, it, it is that what they've been waiting for for centuries is happening here. It's not, see, it's not a bad thing to get excited about 100 kids coming to VBS, and it's not a bad thing. In fact, it's a good thing to get excited about that the demons are being cast out. But let's not get excited about the, what's least important, and let's get ex more excited about what's more important, that the gospel message, that God has come to save the world through his son, Jesus. What Jesus is sending us out in the world to share this gospel, Tim Keller uh, talks about what a gospel is. So gospel is not this, this thing that us as Christians uh, started. So gospel was a very prevalent in the ancient Near Eastern time. You see, gospel is an announcement of something that happened in history, something that's been done for you that that's going to change your status forever. Like when a new Caesar would come to power, uh, Caesar Augusta or Caesar Nero, um, they would send out pages to all the known world. And in those pages, they would say, hey, your life is going to be changed forever because this new, this new Caesar come to power. Or uh, one of the famous gospels was uh, when the Battle of Marathon happened. Uh, the people of Athens thought that their uh, kingdom was going to be overrun uh, by the Persians, uh, and the Athenians won marathon, and they sent a page uh, back 26.2 miles, which is where we get our modern-day marathon, uh, back uh, to Athens, and he says, victory, and then he dies. Uh, and so, uh, never run a marathon without training. Uh, but also, 
that the new God, that the gospel is this good news that changes your life forever. Uh, the same thing ha- happens here when King Jesus comes to power. In verse 18, Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Here, Jesus is claiming that he is God. He's saying that the old kingdom is dying and the new kingdom is at hand. That the second person of the Trinity is him. That he's not just a good teacher, not just a prophet or a rabbi, but that he's God himself. That he is the Christ who's come to redeem the world. Uh, We continue on in verse 20. Jesus says, However, don't rejoice because the Spirit submit to you, but rejoice because your name is written in heaven. And I think this is my favorite uh, verse in this whole passage. Uh, Because nowadays we think, your name written, what does that mean? Like, that's not a big deal. But back then, having your name written was a huge deal. Nowadays, you go and open up your email after being on vacation for a week and you see your name written hundreds of times. Or you go out to your mailbox and you see junk mail with your name written. Or try and sell a house or buy a house and you have this stack of papers that's this thick with your name all over the place where you have to write it. But back then, it was a big deal to have your name written. See, every town would have a role. And on that role uh, would be a small number of its citizens. And those would be the citizens of that town. The citizens of Rome would have their names on that sentence. And there were very few. Uh, most uh, theologians believe about one in 10 uh, were of, of any given city were a, uh, were a citizen. Having our name written in the book of life means that our sins are covered. Means that Jesus covered our sins and that our price has been paid. Being written in the name of the book of life means we get to live forever. If your name is in that book, it has a huge effect on what your security is. But we are to rejoice, we are to rejoice that our name is already written in the book of life. If we're believers, uh, Jesus is telling us that our identity is based just on that. Uh, You see, we can have a we oftentimes will base our identity on something other than that, though. Uh, you know, it's real tempting for me to base my identity on, hey, I'm a good father. Um, or at least I think I am. Uh, but we, if we base our identity on that, the moment our kids act up, uh, our identity is shattered. Or we can base our identity oftentimes on, are we good at our job? or good at a sport, or good at school, or good at something. But the moment something bad happens, uh, our identity and our world is shaken. However, if our identity is based on the fact that our name is written in the book of life, then nothing in this life can shake us. No person or thing that can happen to you can shake the reality of who you are. The core of who we are remains the same, remains unchanged. The worst thing that can happen to us is death, which even that, Paul says, to die is gain and to live is Christ, which uh, you get to be with Jesus. I think in his commentary, one of my uh, professors uh, for a class I took through Young Life, uh, uh, PhD called Dar- named Daryl Bach, I think says it best. He says, while Satan is cast down from heaven, the disciples have become part of the heavenly census. This message 
that our identity is in Christ Jesus being the Son of God and his lordship over our lives, that our name written as citizens of heaven needs to be the most important thing in our life. Uh, and that's what Jesus is telling these 72 here, that the fact that you can cast out demons is great and heal the sick, but you should be more excited that your identity is based on the fact that your name is written in the book of life. You see, uh, God gives us a motivation for sharing this message. And that motivation, you can see it in uh, 10, 21 through 24, uh, where Jesus says this. He says, at this time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this, for this is what pleases you to do. All these things have been committed to me by my Father, who no, who no one knows except the Son. And no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those whom the Son chooses to reveal. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes who see what you have seen. For I tell you, many prophets and kings have wanted to see what you see, but did not see it. Wanted to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Here's the crazy thing. So Jesus rejoices that these hidden things are hidden from the wise and given to the kids. Given to kids. But the crazy thing is Jesus literally, there's literally no kids here. Jesus doesn't send out 72, 5 to 10-year-olds with their Sesame Street lunchboxes. But he sends out adults. But what Jesus is saying is, I'm sending you out like children uh, because of your weakness. There's literally nothing that these people have done that warrants them being chosen for this mission. Uh, much less been given the power they've been given. In their weakness, God uses them to do great things. You see, in, in, the, in Judaism, uh, by the time these people would be six or seven, they'd, the smartest of them would be chosen to be Pharisees or Sadducees. Um, they would have been studying under some rabbi, like the Apostle Paul did when he was Saul, and studied under Gamaliel. Uh, so the disciples weren't the smartest people in the world. And throughout Jesus' ministry, if you just look at Peter, like he shows just that, that he's not the smartest person in the world. But then you, you look at the change in him when you get to the second part of Luke's book, which is Acts. Um, but Jesus says that they are more blessed than the kings and the prophets, that they get to see what the Old Testament writers long to see. That is the kingdom of God at hand. In the Bible, we see people repeatedly messed up people that God uses for his glory. Like, just look at a few of them. So, Abraham. Abraham sells, goes into Egypt because of a famine and tells the Pharaoh that his wife Sarah is not his wife, but his sister. Uh, but yet, God uses him to be uh, the father of a great nation in the line of uh, David, who becomes the line of Jesus. We look at Moses, who murders someone, runs away, um, and then when God gives him this amazing mission to liberate people, he's like, hey God, I'm too weak, I can't speak. And God's like, I created you. I know that you can speak, but I'll send your brother Aaron. And, uh, but yet God uses him 
to redeem the world. And then you look at a guy like Samson, who even before his birth was said to be the ruler of the people of Israel. So has to be a judge over the people of Israel. But he lets his infatuation with Delilah uh, ruin that. Or David, who at the height of his reign has an immoral affair with Bathsheba. She tells him she's going to have a baby. We all know the story. He covers it up. And when the cover-up doesn't work, he murders his, her husband. But yet he's a man after God's own heart. And we look at Solomon, his son, who had 700... Or who had, 300 wives and 700 concubines and started worshiping their God. But yet that doesn't stop him from being in the line of Jesus. Or Paul, who when he was Saul, uh, found joy and pleasure in capturing early believers and putting them to death and uh, putting them in jail. These are just a few of the broken people who God used for his redemptive purposes throughout Scripture. I can say with much confidence that there's nothing that you and I can do or say that can stop God from using us for his kingdom, for his glory, and to bring the gospel to the known world here in West Michigan and beyond. Uh, A little bit more modern uh, is a guy named Mordecai Ham, who was a Baptist pastor who in 1901 left his law career and ended up going from town to town, preaching to small churches uh, that in the rural South, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, in 1905, his wife died. He became depressed and lost 50, 50 pounds, um, and he stopped preaching. Uh, but after a year off, felt God calling him to go back. Um, and in the 1920s, uh, his preaching of the gospel became so effective that it literally bankrupt some of the town saloons uh, that he was uh, going and preaching the, these messages in. And so a saloon owner decided to hit him with his car and dragged him a mile and a half. Um, this uh, caused him to be laying up clearly for six months. But after he was healed, um, he shared the, continued sharing the gospel message. And in the fall of 1934, in Charlotte, North Carolina, in one of his crusades, a young man hears the gospel from Mordecai Ham and accepts it for the first time. This young man goes on to lead hundreds of thousands of people to Christ, uh, including in the late 70s, my own mother-in-law at one of his crusades in Chicago. Uh, you probably guessed it, but this young man was Billy Graham. Uh, and so God can and will use you if you let him. There's nothing in your past that he can't forgive. This is the same God that used 72 fallen people throughout this story and broken people throughout the Bible. There's nothing you've done. There's no weakness that disqualifies you from being used by God. As I leave you today, I want to encourage you to see what part of God your life will you let God use uh, to advance the kingdom of God. What part of your life will you let God use to bring others closer to him? So I'm going to close this in prayer, and then our uh, praise and worship team is going to come up and uh, lead us in a song of response. So, Father God, I thank you that your kingdom is here on earth, already not yet, and that we get to be a part of your messengers to bring this kingdom home, to bring the kingdom here, Lord God. I pray that you use us, use every part of our lives, the brokenness and the joys, the struggles um, and the triumphs 
the gifts and the talents and the weaknesses for your glory, for your honor, and for your gospel. In your son Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.